reading today from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We'll be reading actually verse 15 through 23. Uh, And I invite you to turn there. The words will be on the screen. You can use your Bible apps on your phones. It's what I do when I'm not preaching usually. Um, This is a portion of a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians that were in the town of Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. It's not some fancy name. It's literally where they were. It's who he wrote the letter to. He wrote one to us. It'd be the Glenvillians, the Tatnalonians, the Mendesians, Gooseneckers. I'll come up with some others later, but I have have this for other sermons, you know. So I'm going to invite you to hear these words. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that, with the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, I got this... um, Bible here back in January. It was a gift. It is totally got 1950s typographic design here. Uh, Let me see if I can find the publication date for you right here. Oh, 1960 right here. This is the Devonaugh Family Bible. That is my grandparents' family Bible, my mom's mama and daddy. This was a gift given to me by my uncle Mark. And I received it last January uh, after he died. It was one of his inheritance gifts to me. Uncle Mark was an interesting fellow. He spent uh, some time in the Navy. uh, But for 40 years of his adult life, he spent in a wheelchair because of a horrible drug-related accident that he had when he was in his early 20s. And so, interestingly enough, he's bound to the wheelchair. um, But do you know what he did for a living? He was a long-haul trucker. Uncle Mark, how do you do that? He he had some gadgets in that truck. And his only thing was, hey, I will haul it wherever you want to go, but you're loading it and you're unloading it because once I get in here, I'm not getting out until I'm done. It was what an interesting thing. So sometime in the last 10 or 15 years or so, Uncle Mark began to explore Christianity. He had a lot to wrestle with, if you can imagine. You know, that kind of thing wasn't supposed to happen. Life was supposed to be different. He had a lot to wrestle with. But he, 
he couldn't shake that there was something. He studied the Bible, and he studied it hard. Looking back over some of the books he had at his house after he died, he, he studied a lot, but he would always question everything he learned and push back on what he read, but he just couldn't shake Jesus somehow or another. And so he kept coming back over and over, doubt after doubt, struggle after struggle to the Lord. And I wonder if this Bible might have had something to do with it along the way. I don't know, but I'm told by all of my mom, my mom and my aunts and that this Bible would sit in their house, at a very prominent place, and that their mama would read to them from it. And the old King James. And I wonder if that sowed a little seed for Uncle Mark. I wonder if it did. Maybe they read it together. But I'm glad I have it either way. It's got this. How many of you all have one of these big family Bibles? Does anybody still have these? I got, yeah. So I've got this one. Um, we had, I was, a, you know, getting ready for ministry. We got married. I have about 400 Bibles. So we decided we just put those around instead of get one big one, you know. Um, and so it's got this neat thing in the middle. Some of y'all might have it too. It's right in between Testaments. Let's see if I can pull it out here. It's got um, this place for family records. Um, it's got like uh, family register and who it belonged to and, um, you know, the birth dates and important places. Uh, and I'm kind of glad I had this because this is my grandmother's handwriting. My grandmother died. I told you, I think a couple weeks ago she died when my mom was four, which do the math. I didn't ever get to meet her. Um, and so what a thing was like, that is grandma's handwriting. And there's things in here that I didn't know, like, People's middle names. <laughs> Who knows? These folks live in New York. I don't know what their middle names are. Uh, things that happened and when Uncle Mark's accident was. I mean, this is a pretty special to me. I'm glad that I've got this. And it's interesting that this was my grandmother's, and she handed it down after her and Grandpa died to Uncle Mark. And Uncle Mark read from it and some of his other Bibles, and I believe this helped him to find his faith again later in his life, and, and now it's handed down to me. That's a pretty special thing. Y'all have special things handed down to y'all? Nobody? Good. It's just, well, you can borrow this. It's pretty much like yours, but my grandma's handwriting's in it. And that's the nature of the Christian faith, really. It's handed down and received. It's handed down and received. The apostles received the faith and the gospel, and it was handed down to them by the earliest saints of the church, such as those that we read about here in Ephesus, and continues to be handed down through the generations until it's handed down to you and to me, and we received it from somebody who handed it down to us. Maybe, maybe one of these people, blessed saints that we've named today here earlier in our service. And then it is our job to hand it on to somebody else. That is the nature of of faith. So All Saints Day really is a, in, in some ways, is a celebration of the fact that we are not the first ones to have to figure this out. We have a whole company of heaven, of people who have lived before us faithfully, who have handed down their faith to us. And we remember all of those who held the faith. And if the gospel is true, and I believe that it is true, then we recognize that those saints who have died in Christ, are not dead and gone, but live with Christ eternally. In our communion liturgy, we'll call them the company of heaven. You might have heard another name. It was actually brought up at Brother Vance's funeral by Jimmy Kaysen today, or this week. It was the church triumphant. Those who have gone on through the door of death to be with the Lord are called the church triumphant because they are living with Christ and have triumphed over death. 
And we, left on earth, are called the church militant, meaning that we still have work to do to advance the kingdom of God and to share the gospel. And so while it seems like the church triumphant has done their due, and it's us with a job left to do, the church triumphant actually still has some things to hand down to us. It's like they continue giving. And that is a witness to resurrection power. A witness to resurrection power. So here in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul offers a prayer for the people in the church. Paul had handed over their faith. They received it from him. And I love that he continues to invest in them even after he's gone on to other places. So his prayer, which begins in verse 17, asks this, God, would you open the eyes of their heart so that they can see something specific? Have you ever wondered that maybe God is all around active in ways that you just, you just don't see it? Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And Paul is asking, God, would you open the eyes of their hearts so that they could see the hope that you have for them, for one? That you see the riches that you bestow upon them through grace, for two? And three, that they would know the power of God. That's Paul's prayer. Open their eyes that they might see the power of God. And now Paul spends the most time praying about God's power in this section. Because it's through God's power that we have our hope and through God's power that we have our inheritance. In fact, you go on down to verse 19, Paul specifically prays that we would see what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. Now that's a power-packed phrase. He says power quite a bunch. But get, get this, it's so easy to pass over. Wake up, everybody, wake up. It's not just power. It is power that is immeasurably great. It's so hard to describe. In fact, Paul's having a hard time describing what he, what he knows of the power of God. Paul so desperately wants us to know about the greatness of God's power that, that he uses every single word that he knows to use in his original Greek language just to try to describe to us what that power is. There, he can't just say power. That's not good enough. He has to say power in four different ways just to begin to help us understand and know the might of God. It's power that language can't contain. So listen to this. I'm going to give you some uh, nerd stuff. I know you like this, David. Here are some of the power words that Paul uses to describe the power of God in this short verse. One of them is dunamis. Do you hear the word dynamite? Dunamis. Dynamite. It's where the word dynamite comes from. It's from Greek. I don't know if you know that. Now you can win trivia at Locos next week. Have at it. But it's not just dunamis. It's Mega dunamis. Mega is a Greek word too. I don't know if you know this. This power is the explosive ability. It's defined as the explosive ability to accomplish something. God has dunamis, the explosive power, ability to accomplish something. And then there's this one, energeia. You should hear the word energy in this. It's where we get the word energy from. Did you know this? Energeia. It's this inherent potential and outworking power. It's strength. It's in God. It's ready to work out. And then there's another one. It has no English equivalent, but it's just really cool to say. Kratos. 
That's the power to overcome that which stands in the way. Don't you wish that sometimes you had the power to overcome things that stand in the way? Well, God has kratos, the power to overcome things that stand in the way. And then the fourth one he uses in this short sentence is iskus. And that is a power that God uses, the exercise, the outflowing of power. Here's, here's how it would read if we kind of took these definitions in mind. I pray that the eyes of your hearts will be opened so that you can know the super mega dynamite ability of God to accomplish in us who believe the inherent strength of God's power at work because God uses his power and it's the power to overcome everything that stands in the way. It just unpacks. It's not just power. It's power that the written language can barely describe. There are no other words that we know of in the biblical Greek language for power. Paul just grabbed them all. He said, this isn't enough. I need more of this. It's like when I'm at the buffet, and it's like, there ain't enough cake on my plate. I need more. I need more. And Paul's just grabbing them just because it's so big. It's powerful. It's beyond human explanation and understanding. And even more, Paul wants us to see an example of what that power looks like. So he says this. He says, God, in verse 21, God put this power, this big power, to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. It's power that rose Christ from the dead. Now listen, if there's ever anything that would make a human being feel more powerless in this world, it is death, the fear of death, approaching death and the death of things. It's terrifying. Death overcomes even our power to draw breath into our lungs, let alone anything else. And on the other end of that, there is the fear of death by which somebody will do the craziest stuff to avoid. And on the other end is grief for those who have died among us that can sap our strength for years. And so much so that some people, some people just can't find anything to bring themselves, to even stand up to overcome after a significant loss. There is, if there's anything in the world that renders human beings powerless, it's death. But God's unimaginable power overcame death and rose Jesus from the dead. When God's power is at work, not even death can stand in the way. And that's not the end of the story either because God didn't just take Jesus from the grave to live on earth. He took him all the way up. He said, you think, you think that's good? I brought this guy up here. I'm going to bring him all the way up here. And he brought Jesus to life to walk the earth, raised him all the way up to heaven. And get this, where nothing in the world is more powerful than Jesus because all authority sits under him. All principality sits under him. All governing sits under him. And there is not a name in the earth that we can think of now or will ever think of that is more powerful than the name of Jesus because Jesus has authority. And God took him from the dead all the way up, all the way power that overcomes death. And that's not all. Paul tells us in verse 19 that God's power, this dynamite death-defying power, is at work in us. Wake up. 
that God's power is not just back then for a special guy. A little bit of nepotism. Of course, he's going to use his power for his son, Jesus Christ, right? It's not just for someone else, someplace else, for one time special kind of thing. The dead raising, hope giving, all overcoming power of God is at work in you and me through the power of the Holy Spirit attested to by Scripture. Wake up. There's nothing that God cannot do, nothing that God cannot overcome, nothing that God cannot raise up from the absolute bottom. The power of God lives in us, in you, in me, now. And that means that no matter whatever could befall us in life and even death, the promise is true that by God's great power, we will rise. Because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. And so the world may be stacked against me, yet by the power of God that works in me, yet I will rise. And though I may be overcome with the circumstances of my life and it seems like nothing is going right, yet by the power of God at work in me, yet will I rise. And though I may be overcome by grief, bearing the weight of loss of dreams and people, yet by the power of God, I will rise. Though I feel too weak to make it another day, I don't know if I have anything left in me, yet by the power of God at work in me, I will rise. And even when I am dead and buried and blood no longer courses through these veins and there is no more strength left in these bones, buried in the grave, yet by the power of God at work in Jesus Christ, promised to me and assured to me by the power of the gospel, yet will I rise. There is nothing outside of the strength and power of God in our lives. And the problem is, is that we might need to listen to Paul and join him in his prayer. God, open the eyes of my heart that I might see it. Open the eyes of my heart that I might see it. Because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. Lives in us. Yeah. My Uncle Mark was a hard nut to crack. I won't give you too much of his information, but you could look up his Facebook page and you'd probably agree with me. Still there, that's an odd part of modern grieving, isn't it? Yet his mother handed faith down to him and it was in there some kind of seed of the power of God. And over time, over years, the power of God overcame his pained and hard heart. And now listen to me. If even a hurting, sometimes rightfully angry man confined to a wheelchair for 40 years, paraplegic at the end of his life, can stand and rise, giving his life to Christ, defeat death, and stand tall in the presence of God, what is there that the power of God cannot do? This is the lesson of the saints. We don't just remember We watch and we listen to the present because the power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in those whom we have loved, raising them up into eternal life. And if God can do that with Uncle Mark, with these, with all of those who have gone before, 
God has the power to accomplish anything. And remember, that power, whether you believe it today or not, is, according to the witness of Scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is at work in you now. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might know the immeasurable greatness of God's power for those who believe according to the working of his great, dynamite, energetic, overcoming power. Give us the eyes, O Lord, to see. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.